Tenakoto no mai hai Hello everyone and welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hello everyone, this is just a wee bonus episode for you all. I was sitting thinking it's been such a tumultuous year that perhaps it might be an idea to look back at some of our episodes from this year, not from our current season though. So this is a last minute idea and my gift to you all, an end of the year roundup. I've had some really wonderful guests and great conversations. I've been moved to tears with some stories and been incredibly touched by people's willingness to share personal events with us all and their bravery in doing so. So whilst I'm talking about them, I want to thank every single person, anonymous and otherwise, who's been kind enough to participate in my podcast. Way too many to begin to mention by name. Over the past year, they've taken us to outer space with UFO encounters and they've grounded us with Earth Spirit and the Fairy Folk. We've visited night terrors and spirit sexual assault to near-death experiences. We've been out in the woods looking for Bigfoot and other cryptozoological beings. We've looked at mysteries like spontaneous human combustion. All these places have been because of my wonderful and much appreciated guests. And then COVID struck, and the world was forever changed. But now, more than ever, people have needed a distraction from everyday life and the pandemic raging around the world, thus searching for an understanding that life continues on after this one. It's been a year of absolute ups and downs, and all through this, our podcast has continued to provide a source of distraction, entertainment, and yes, perhaps education for some. I personally know that I've learned so much over the past year from my guests. Some have touched my heart so deeply that they will always have a part in there and I've cried along with them. Fortunately, because this podcast is audio only, you don't get to see me bawling like a baby with my ugly crying face whilst trying to remain as professional as I can. I'm not ashamed to say I have cried along with many of my guests. Some I've so wanted to reach through the screen if that were possible and give them the biggest comforting hug. I've had conversations with some of the funniest guests that have had me laughing so hard at their humour that I've really had to edit quite hard most of that laughter out. 
Most of all, they, all of them, have blessed me with memories I will keep forever, new friendships formed even if only briefly, and a greater appreciation for the generosity and endurance of the human spirit. With that, are you ready to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and have a look back at where we've been? Then let's begin. Instead of going through the episodes one by one, let's start with some of the many scarier stories and experiences. Tyler's return from Season 4, Episode 50. This was initially a very scary story, kindly shared with us by Deb. In this clip, she's talking about an experience that happened in the shower. I happened to be in the shower and I had soap in my hair and I was just bawling my eyes out uncontrollably, having a complete nervous breakdown, wondering how I'm going to pick up the pieces of my shattered life and um, move on. And so I had soap in my hair. I'm trying to wash it out of my hair. And all of a sudden I hear this creepy giggle for a few seconds and I almost jumped out of the shower a foot high. I mean, I almost had a heart attack and died because I knew I was at home alone. I did not expect to hear any noises coming from anywhere in my vicinity. And after I scrubbed the soap out of my hair as fast as I possibly could, I looked down and um, this there was this toy in the bathtub that I knew made that noise. Um, it belonged to um, my daughter and she had gotten it in a mcdonald's happy meal and it happened to be a little nemo fish and if you touched its little fin it would make that same giggling noise but this toy was a tub toy because it had stopped working like years prior to this event um there were no batteries in it um the thing that made made it giggle was broken um it hadn't worked in like years that's why it was a tub toy so i picked this thing up knowing that that sound came from that little toy and I'm pushing it, pushing the fin, shaking it, nothing's happening. So I quickly got out of the shower and found a screwdriver and completely dismantled this entire toy looking for reasons why it would have made this creepy sounding giggle. I mean, this giggle went on for seconds. It was just the creepiest thing ever. Um, there was no reason or explanation as to why this thing should be giggling at me like that. From Season 5, Episode 65, called Be Soul, an interview with Dean, an undertaker, and Karina, his wife. They're talking about experiences he's had living in two different funeral homes. I lived in two different funeral homes at two different times in my working career. And the first one that I lived at had a lot of movement um, stuff um, around, uh, yeah, well, the, 
all the work happened downstairs and I lived upstairs, really old building. And, oh yeah, you put things away and you go back downstairs two hours and they'd be out on the counter. They'd be moved. They'd be moved from one spot to the next. They'd be moved from one room to the other. And you just got to, you just came to accept it and just sort of rolled with it and was like, well, weird, but never saw anything happen. It always happened when you'd come back. Right. The other one, I never saw anything. It was all just a matter of feeling. And my bedroom was right at the top of the big staircase that went rolling down to the work area of the funeral home. And I'm an open door sleeper. And I right. just, I just couldn't sleep with the door open there. I was like, this is something's on. So I closed the door and then I'm like, this isn't working for me. So I just had a big meeting with everybody that was there. And I don't even know who was there, but just said, hey, it stops here. Whatever is happening, you guys can have the downstairs. That's cool. But the upstairs, I live here. You guys got to get out. You're gone. You know, I got to sleep here. So it's over. It stops. And yeah, another thing after, after, after that. But So you set boundaries with spirit. That was the... I didn't know what to do. So that's just what, I don't know. I felt like, well, if I just front up to it, either it's going to come after me or it's going to go away, one of the two. And so I just... Yeah, got out of bed, turned the light on, and I said, I've had enough. This is done. It's over. I, I know you're there, and it's just, I know you're watching me. You're not doing anything. You're just watching me. It's just, it was just like trying to sleep while being watched. And it was like, and then never had a problem. It was that one that you felt, that one bedroom, that one bedroom. Oh, that big, yeah, that really big. That, that you couldn't almost going that was like and no one ever stayed there no no yeah i had one room that i never put anything in all day i just walked by it i just didn't like the room it was just i don't know it's just it wasn't any temperature difference there was no noises no nothing it was just an eerie feeling about that room and i just left that room i never put anything i never stored anything in that room i never walked in there i never let anybody sleep in there I was like, the room just didn't exist. I don't know what. So how do, how do you mean it felt eerie? Did it feel like uncomfortable, just made, unsafe? No, it just made me feel nervous. And I've learned okay. that I, if, yeah, I've learned over the years now that if I've got a gut feeling, I, I go with it. Yeah, it was just one of those things like, shouldn't go there. And it, it just right. sort of pop into my mind or where you, you know, your tummy just sort of feels nervousy. And it's like, nah, I got, I, I got nothing in there. I got no reason to go there. I don't want to go there. I'm not going. From season four, episode 52, the Ouija board. Is it really just a game? Comes this cautionary experience from my friend, Nick. Uh, my name is Nick. I live in uh, Michigan, which is in the United States. I'm friends with Marianne, but uh, <laughs> I uh, wanted to give my experiences with the Ouija board. 
I've had quite a few. I don't mess with it anymore. Probably the earliest I started playing with the Ouija board is probably my late teens, early 20s. It's right when I met my or well, my wife now. We went over to a friend's house and would go play with it over there. Uh, one of the main, I guess, big events that, you know, I knew that it's not anything to mess around with is uh, one time we are you know, playing with it. And uh, we didn't have the pie shot. We couldn't find it. So we had the candle lit that was next to the board. And uh, on the top, it was a glass candle. So it had like that rubber ring around it. And we took that off to use it as the pie shot. And uh, within maybe a few minutes of using it, all of a sudden we looked down and there's blood forming on the other side of the uh, ring. And, uh, you know, it wasn't there. And we seen it with our own eyes appearing. And then from one corner of the room to around the whole room, it went completely black. And, like, the candle was lit. And the flame shot up. It was just a normal flame. And then it was probably a good maybe two feet tall. It was, you know, it was huge. And uh, it wasn't even, like, the flame was off the wick. And so that was weird. But the one thing is like the whole room was blacked out and there's no reflection of light anywhere. Like the, just the light from the candle was just in that spot where the candle was. And then uh, after that, um, How did that make you at the time I was, well, I, at the time I kind of, I wasn't afraid, but it was more so like interesting. Because I've never seen that happen before out of the other times that we used it. And uh, what happened, too, is we've had this one spirit that every time we use it, he comes up and he, you know, torments us. And we knew that's who was coming when the room blacked out like that. And uh, he started talking to us through the board. And then uh, our friend, she was sitting on the bed. And it was just me and my, well, girlfriend at the time, but now wife, were using the board. And all of a sudden, she started choking. And uh, she was like, she couldn't breathe. And uh, we looked over, and on her throat, there was fingerprints. And it was to the point where her face is, you know, turning blue. And so finally, we're like, okay, you know, stop it. Leave her alone. And then finally, you know, whatever it was, let go of her and she could breathe again and then from after that uh you know we stopped playing with the board actually after that we were walking home and uh my girlfriend ended up getting possessed by whatever was following us from that night and i knew she was possessed because we were walking and all of a sudden she just completely stopped and she let go of my hand and she put her head down and I was like, you know, I looked at my friends and then I was like, what is she doing? You know? And so I asked, I was like, Hey, are you okay? What's wrong? And, uh, she didn't answer. So I, you know, asked a few more times and she didn't answer. And then finally I grabbed her arm and then I was like, what's wrong? And she lifted up her head 
and her eyes were completely red, like blood, crimson red, no pupil, nothing, just completely red. And mm-hmm. in her voice, her voice was like, um, I want to say like three voices in one, as they say it, you know, and that wasn't her voice. It was, you know, a dark, like heavy, you know, graspy voice. And uh, she said, don't fucking touch me. And then she threw my arm down and then put her head down. And then I was like, I looked at my friends again. And I'm like, did you see that? And they're like, you know, they didn't know what to say either. And so then I tried again. I was like, you okay? And all of a sudden, she looked up and her eyes were normal. And she's like, where are we? You know, she's like, what are we doing? It's like, we're walking home. She's like, how are we here? She's like, last I knew, we were in the uh, inner room playing with the board. This next clip is from Season 5, Episode 60, called The Incubus and Succubus, which covered the topic of spirit sexual encounters. Bit of a controversial topic, and not one that's talked about often in mainstream media except to poke fun at the people sharing their encounters. Fair warning, this following clip may contain triggers for some of you and is from business boss girl who, for obvious reasons, didn't want to use her real name. I was dead awake, you guys. Like, I was awake. I had my eyes open. I was on my phone and, you know, I was just awake. So, so I was awake, keep that in mind throughout the whole story that I was awake, I was not asleep or anything like that. So I was laying down like like facing up. So I was like, okay, this looks creepy. But I was like this, right? And then if he was right here on my arm and he fell asleep. So then this might be like weird and gross, but it's what happens. I'm gonna tell you guys how it happened. It kind of just happened so fast. Like I just feel like it happened so fast. But um, I was just laying down and all of a sudden, like I was awake again. I just have to keep saying that because I feel like it's so important. Like I was awake, you guys. So yeah. And all of a sudden I felt something like, oh my God, <laughs> I feel like, uh, uh, I feel like throwing up now. Okay. I don't know if I should be talking about this. I feel kind of weird. Maybe because like I'm so close to where it happened. Um, I felt something like kind of crawling up on me and it was like heavy. The thing is that when it happened, I didn't feel scared. I wasn't really like scared or anything. I was just like I felt something crawling on, crawling up on me. The moment that I felt it crawl up on me, I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything, but my eyes were open. So I could see everything. So I couldn't move, I couldn't talk, but I could see everything. And everything looked the same. Like I could see my room, it was daylight. I could see everything. I could see my nephew like through the corner of my eye. So basically I could see everything, but this is where it got creepy um, as hell. I literally saw, it was like a black, shadow but it was in the shape of a man all you could see was a man figure but it was all black so you couldn't see like actual features or anything it was just all black your noises 
too. It's just my dog. So, yeah. I saw the black figure and that was when I was like, what is going on? But I couldn't say anything. I couldn't move. But I wasn't scared. It was kind of like, I felt it, um, how do you say it? Tranquilidad. But in my mind, I was still like, what? what the hell is this like what's going on well, i was just there laying down and i felt this thing come up on me but i couldn't do anything about it so it was coming up like i saw it going towards me so like it was crawling up for my feet all the way up but i saw it coming towards me so then after that this is gonna be kind of like nasty and you guys might i don't know what you guys are gonna think or whatever but I'm telling you how it is. So I felt something there. Um, so yeah, I felt like, let's say this is my body, right? This is my body. This is my head. These are my feet. And this is Gina. Gina. So this is the thing, right? This is the, the black demon i felt it like coming right here and he stopped right here and i felt it i felt stuff so then he was moving up and it happened like uh, i don't know how to explain this you guys like it's kind of embarrassing but i literally felt everything like it was happening and now that I'm thinking about it I kind of want to cry but like yeah it happened and um it went on for like I would say just a few probably like a, a minute or two minutes or something it wasn't like extremely long but it happened and and um yeah this is kind of awkward talking about so so after that, when that happened, it stopped. Like I, it was like, I just felt it leave and okay. I felt it leave and I was free again. And I was in shock. I couldn't, like I could move now, I could talk, but I was in shock. I was in a state of shock. So I couldn't get myself to do any of that. So I was literally just there like, what the hell happened? Like, you know, like what just happened? so i i was there for like minutes just like that because keep in mind that i had my nephew right next to me so i was like was i dreaming what was going on but i knew that i was dreaming i knew that it was all real of course not all encounters with the paranormal are scary or terrifying my guest author and civil war historian and reenactor and very funny man don allison in Season 5, Episode 59, I met a ghost at Gettysburg, shared this encounter when he was restoring his old historic home. We had the electricity to the house turned off. It was very old wiring. It had been water damaged. We didn't want to risk a fire, so we had no power in the house. We used everything either by batteries or I had a generator that we would run outside. And... Um, 
we had radios, battery powered radios, a CD player. Because we were doing a lot of work with saws and sawdust kicking up dust, I had found a CD player radio at a garage sale. Well, this thing would shut off or turn on on its own. It would change radio stations, and I thought it was defective. I threw it away and bought a brand new one. And this one would come on, turn off by itself, change radio stations <laughs> by itself. Um, I thought, what in the world is, is going on here? The most, most amazing one is my wife, Diane, and I were working outside, working on bricks, tuck-pointing bricks. And the radio kept going from music we were listening to to a Bowling Green State University men's basketball game. And it didn't matter what station we put it on. Within 30 seconds, it was back on the basketball game. It was kind of insulting because Bowling Green is the arch rival to the University of Toledo, where I attended, uh, which kind of adds some humor to it. But we gave up trying to, to change it. I bet we changed it a dozen times, and it went back. Finally, when the game was over, we put it back on our original station and had no more problems. It's like we were just scratching our heads at this. Um, another time I was working and it was after dark and I had a saw set up in the living room. I was cutting floorboards to replace the upstairs bedroom floor and I had radio going. Everything was plugged into a generator. The radio was actually plugged in in this case. And every time a loud rock song, this is a classic rock station, every time a loud rock song would come on, the radio would turn off. And after it happened three times, this is the first time I ever did this, I spoke out loud out of frustration and said, look, leave the radio alone. I like this music. Don't turn it off. Don't make me stop what I'm doing to turn it back on. Leave the radio alone. So I go back to work, and I don't know, two or three songs later, the Elton John song, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, came on. The radio didn't turn off. The generator outside turned off. Left me <laughs> in the dark. And I just stood there, and I laughed. And I went outside. The generator it was flipped off. It was not, didn't run out of gas, no issue. It fired right back up and nothing bothered me the rest of that night. We started this year in Season 4, Episode 1 of our podcast, with a follow-on episode from the immensely popular episode from Season 1, A Glitch in the Matrix, A Holographic Reality, with an episode entitled A Glitch in the Matrix Experiences, where people were kind enough to share their personal experiences with glitches. My favourite experience from that episode was this one from David. Hi there, my, my name is David, and uh, I, have a, I have a story that has stayed with me for quite a while. I was uh, out in the street, uh, it was winter, well, you know, one of those uh, winters when the snow is kind of crunchy, 
So you can hear it, you can hear your steps as you go along. And it was a busy night, you know, uh, it was late enough that some uh, drunk people were coming out of the bar. So, so it was crowded, it felt loud. And I was going to a convenience store to buy myself some, uh, some snacks. And uh, I came up on one and it was, uh, it was uh, you know, just one of those regular convenience stores with window glass panes. And this one had a neon sign that was uh, alternating between different colors. So I, I went inside and uh, nothing really struck, struck me as weird, really. It was just another normal night going to the convenience store. And uh, as I went along, you know, trying to decide what to, what to eat, you know, what picked my appetite, it kind of dawned on me that um, something was off, you know. Uh, you know how this electrical uh, high-pitched noise uh, that permeates, you know, the environment, the modern, like, life, you know, every time you have, like, fridges or, uh, I don't know, like, the lights, uh, electrical equipment, you know, you can cannot hear it, you know, even if it's low volume. Uh, well, I couldn't hear it here. It was kind of disconcerting, you know, in a way. You kind of get used to, uh, to that noise. And the air, you know, it felt still, like, thick like I had to move my hands you know to get it out of the way so I could move through and so I just kept on going you know I, I just figured it was you know I was tired or something and as I kept on going you know I just looked around browsed around didn't touch anything and uh, I noticed that there was something more it was it was soundless it was like not even I couldn't even hear the streets and usually at this time you know you can hear the life outside. Well, you know, I just made my way to the counter, uh, to the cash register, and I took a lighter, you know, out of a lighter rack. And, well, everything changed. You know, as soon as I touched the lighter, I would almost say, like, immediately after I touched it, all the sound, it just came rushing back. Uh, you know, I could hear the, the cars outside. I could hear people talking in the steps. I could hear that that electrical humming, high pitch that I was talking about, it was bad. It almost felt good, you know, like familiarity, but it just came so suddenly. And the, the employee that was behind the, the counter, he was, uh, he was not facing me, he was facing the wall. He kind of just whirled around all of a sudden. He was talking on his phone. Uh, uh, I mean, he was talking to the hand, but his hand had his phone, so I imagine it was on speakerphone. And, Behind him, there was a TV that was blasting this loud uh, TV program. You know, all of these noises, I, I would have noticed them, you know, if they were there before and they were not there. It was as though I cannot just, I don't know, like, you know, one of those video game bugs where you do a specific set a sequence of actions that trigger something, you know, that's not supposed to be triggered. I kind of felt that way, and because I touched the lighter, just everything went back to normal. Finally, I was just a little bewildered, you know, to, uh, to do anything about it or to think anything about it. The, the employee just took the lighter. He gave me, like, the price. I, I gave him to change, and, and then I went outside, and I kind of realized that I couldn't even hear my steps inside, you know, as I was outside crunching my, my, my feet on the snow. It felt weird, and that neon sign... I couldn't see the light inside. You know, it was it was 
alternating between colors and I couldn't see that inside. You know, I could almost swear that it was only one color, you know? Yeah, it's it's like you're out of it and you don't know what to think about it, if you're going crazy or if it's really just the world, you know, and you were like in another world or in a in a different space. I kind of felt good about it in a way because I I had this experience and I, I didn't get hurt and I didn't nobody got hurt, you know, and it was not like traumatizing to me. It was just interesting and interesting experiences like that, you know, you can uh, you can share them. It's uh and you know it just makes part of that human experience that is so uh, mysterious even today. I find this next subject very fascinating and just a wee bit scary, if I'm to be honest, because it's unexplained. From Season 4, Episode 46, Spontaneous Human Combustion, Fair Warning, this clip does contain some graphic descriptions. On the 2nd of July, 1951, in St. Petersburg, Florida, Mary Hardy Reeser was visited by her son David Reeser in the evening in her apartment. Mary told her son that she had taken two seconol tablets, a mild sedative commonly used to calm patients before surgery, and was possibly planning to take two more before bedtime. Later that night, Mary fell asleep in her chair. The next morning, Mary's landlady reported smelling smoke at around 5am, but it wasn't until 8am when the landlady was on her way to deliver a telegram to Mary that she noted smelling smoke again. She discovered soot in the hallway which led to Mary Reese's apartment, and when she went to open the door, the handle was too hot to touch. She then asked some neighbours to help her get into the apartment where she found the cremated remains of Mary Reeser, whose skull had reportedly shrunken to the size of a cup. Parts of her spine also remained, but most disturbingly was her foot completely untouched, still in her black satin slipper. According to cremation experts, Mary's body would have had to have burnt at 300 degrees Fahrenheit or 148.889 degrees Celsius for three to four hours. But apart from the chair Mary sat in, the surrounding area of the apartment was relatively unaffected by the fire. Near the side of the fire, the wall was unscorched and showing no signs of cracked paint, and the upper walls were blackened by soot and smoke, but the lower half was not. The apartment's light switches were scorched and melting, but the plug outlet below was unaffected, and a stack of newspapers nearby wasn't touched. Also, none of Mary's neighbours heard the fire that night, despite firemen coming on the scene describing the heat as so intense they couldn't stand it, but also found no signs of smouldering. Chief Detective Cass Burgess described the case as perplexing, and Dr. Walton Krogman, Professor of Physical Anthropology, was, quote, amazed and baffled, and could not conceive of such a complete cremation without more burning of the apartment itself, end quote. He also stated that in his 30-plus fire investigations, he had never seen a skull shrink like Mary's head, as most skulls usually swell or explode, he said, quote, 
The head is not left complete in ordinary burning cases. Certainly, it does not shrivel or symmetrically reduce to a smaller size. In the presence of heat sufficient to destroy soft tissues, the skull would literally explode in many pieces. I have never known any exceptions to this rule. End quote. Investigators sent samples of the chair, rug, debris and smoke to an FBI laboratory for chemical analysis, but found no traces of combustibles. They did, however, find melted fat in the rug. There have been many speculations as to the course of the fire. A local mattress company pointed out that the regular chair stuffing would not cause such a fire and the material would only smoulder for an extended period of time. Lightning and electrical failure was also ruled out on the scene. However, Mary was reportedly seen smoking a cigarette in that chair the night before. According to the FBI and the police, the fire was most likely started by Mary falling asleep whilst smoking a cigarette, which possibly led to her lighting her nightgown on fire. The FBI have said that once the body became ignited, almost complete destruction occurred from its own fatty tissues. Riding the Witch from Season 4, Episode 53 is a very old name for sleep paralysis and not uncommon but very scary experience many people have. I myself have experienced it a couple of times in my life. This is Rhiannon's experience. My name is Rhiannon. I live in Auckland in New Zealand and when I was about 16 I had what I later learned was called sleep paralysis. At the time I had no idea what it was um, and quite frankly it was one of the most terrifying things I've ever experienced. I would not wish it on anyone. So around about the same time I'd had a few different experiences around especially in my my house in my room but also a friend's place. So we would hear people walking in the hallway at nighttime. I have seen doors shaking with no reason to see a door shaking. There's nothing behind it, nothing like that. I'd also felt presences around me, you know, sort of someone over my shoulder turning around, there was no one there. And at the time I had insomnia quite badly as well. So I would be up until sort of three or four in the morning. But all of those things sort of combined to, you know, I didn't really want to go to sleep. So eventually I would sort of, I suppose, pass out of exhaustion at around three or four in the morning. And this one time I was, I must have dozed off and I woke up and I felt what could only really be described as a giant boulder sitting on my chest or someone pushing their entire body weight down on my chest. And I had no idea what was happening. I was convinced something was attacking me. I couldn't explain anything. And I desperately, desperately tried to scream, but there was nothing. There was no noise. I couldn't, I could feel myself trying to scream. I know my mouth was open, but there was nothing there. I... reliving the experience I don't even know if I was actually able to open my eyes I don't remember seeing anything it was an absolute I I was paralyzed I could not move there was my my arms was I couldn't move my arms I couldn't move my legs nothing and I have I have no idea how long I was like that it could have been five minutes but it could have been 30 seconds It, it I don't yeah have any concept of time around that instance all I remember was at one point leaping out of my bed 
running into my parents' room and obviously my parents had no idea what was going on. I was still having trouble getting my words out. Like my voice was still quite hoarse maybe would be the right way to describe it. And yeah, I, I only learned in the last few years what sleep paralysis was. And up until then, I still had no idea what it was. And I was terrified it would happen again. Luckily for me, it hasn't. But yeah, quite scary. <laughs> Hope never to experience it again. <laughs> I wasn't really sure where to put this subject as it comes under both the paranormal and unexplained. So I decided to group it with the unexplained. The Black-Eyed Kids from Season 4, Episode 51, a very scary subject and one people think is like a new modern myth, but in actual fact has been spoken of in ancient time legends. There's an ancient Iroquois Indian legend in the USA. According to this legend, these kids could be a being called an Otcon. In their belief system, they talk about a good and a bad energy. The name for the positive energy was called Orinda, the negative energy, Otcon. A broad term for negative energy, beings, forces, and things that live in the world around us, as well as trying to penetrate this world from the underworld, the skies, or other dimensions of reality. The Otcon was considered by the Iroquois nation as an evil energy that could possess and destroy people, objects, and animals. They felt that this energy could take on the form of a human and mate with a human woman, resulting in the birth of a child with pure black eyes and very chalky coloured skin. These black-eyed kids generally never lived more than a day or two after birth, as they were usually killed by the tribal elders and burned to prevent resurrection. It was said that children who found themselves lost or alone in the woods became an easy target for possession by an otcon, that when they found their way back to the tribe that they came back empty, with black eyes replacing their normal ones. They were said to behave in peculiar manners, pacing around, repeating themselves frequently, and generally causing havoc amongst the tribe's people, as their goal was to destroy the tribe and replace the members with Otcon. They were also said to be mean and ferocious, once possessed by the Otcon, often having a taste for human flesh. So, with this native legend, you can see that stories of black-eyed kids have been around for a very, very long time, far before modern history when they came into general public knowledge. This is John's experience with the black-eyed kids. I was down in Portland, Oregon, after a seminar series on software development. I'd grabbed a bite for dinner about 10pm, and when I left, it was about 11ish. I'd gotten in my car, locked and belted up, and just started the engine when someone tapped on my window. I was in an above-ground garage on the third floor, so I wasn't too freaked. Good lighting, still some people around. It was one of the guys from the conference, so I rolled down my window and asked him what was up. He wanted to ride around the block a few times as he was freaked about who was standing outside his car. I figured, so sue me, that it was some of Portland's homeless or some punker kids. So, being a good Samaritan, I let him in and we took off. We drove by his car and there were three kids around it. Two boys and a girl. The girl was weird, just freaky, you know, clothes and hair and makeup, gothamatic. The two kids were, I don't know, just scary as shit. She was probably 14 or 15. The oldest boy was probably 14-ish and the youngest between 10 and 12. She looked bored and was smoking a cigarette. 
The two boys were just leaning against the car. They looked way too intense for kids. Anyway, I started itching behind my eyes like I needed to really look at them. So, like an ass, I slowed down. Big mistake. The two boys sauntered over and the girl stayed against the car. The oldest was on Duck's side, the guy from the seminar, and the youngest was on mine. I made sure the doors were locked. I love electronic locks and asked why they were standing around his car. The young one said, It's scary out there all alone and we just wanted a ride home. The oldest one said, You'd promised you'd help us out and Doug said, I don't even know you. By this time, I was really on edge. I felt caught between throwing up and jazzing. Adrenaline does that to me. All of a sudden, Doug said he was getting out of the car and I told him not to. As soon as he reached for the handle, the two kids, I don't know how to say this right, they looked a lot older. Their faces were their faces were somewhat drawn and their eyes were solid black, edge to edge, no pupil, no iris, nothing, just a liquid black pool. I just about wet myself, slapped the car into reverse and burned rubber back in about 60 feet away. They started running after the car, so I spun around one of the sports struts and we took off. I kid you not. I was convinced that if they got a hold of the car, I was going to die, and not in anything approaching a pleasant fashion. Anyway, the oldest one was at the bottom of the garage when we came out and almost made it to my side door. We'd gone down from the third floor doing 30-ish, maybe 35 around the ramp. He'd beaten us down the stairs and onto the sidewalk. And when I turned to look, nothing, he was gone. Doug just about passed out. All of a sudden, the feeling of menace left. We went back about ten minutes later. Nobody was around his car. He got out, got in his car and drove home. He said that he'd met the young one early in the evening and had said he'd taken home. Had even given him a short ride in his car to the seminar and told him to wait. Apparently, though, the older brother scared him, so he felt that all bets were off. I was behind him about 45 feet when the feeling of menace hit again. At that moment, Doug misjudged going across an intersection on a yellow light, and his car was hit by a truck. He was killed instantly. I gave a police report and the whole time felt really freaked out and very exposed. I got back into my car, got in, locked the door and waited. I saw the kids again from about two blocks away. I'm not making it up. I'm not thinking they were vampires or something like that, but they weren't as pale, they weren't as skinny, and they felt a damn sight more menacing. I left quickly. My only concern now, though, is that this upcoming Wednesday, I'm going back to the area for another seminar, and I won't be leaving until 9.30. I'm freaked out, people. Lastly, in this area is time slips, an experience where people find themselves, albeit briefly, in a totally different time and space from where they were seconds beforehand. This experience is from Season 5, Episode 67, A Slip in Time. My mother Doris was born in 1922. Both my parents were sceptics, although my father Ron was always curious about unexplained things. Mum, on the other hand, preferred to ignore things she couldn't explain. I'm telling you this as a way to explain that neither of them were the types to imagine things. 
My mother's displacement experience happened as she was travelling on the top deck of a double-decker bus in London in around the 1950s. As she was sitting there, she became aware of suddenly being out in the open and she looked around to see that she was on the top deck of an 1800s horse-drawn double-decker omnibus. She said she froze in shock. The streets and everything around her had changed to what looked like early pre-Victorian times, and everyone was dressed in long dresses and frock coats. She panicked and tried to speak to the other woman sitting up there with her, but she said they didn't answer her and she wasn't sure if they could see her. It only lasted a few minutes and then she was back where she belonged. She had never heard of anything like that, and in fact none of us had until I decided to do a search on it the other night. Mum was wide awake and alert and definitely not given to flights of fancy. She only told a couple of people, naturally Dad was one, and then me. Again, from Season 4, Episode 49, In Search of the Yowie, took us across the ditch to Australia and a very interesting conversation with a renowned Australian author and Yowie researcher. The Yowie is the Aussie equivalent of the Bigfoot. Tony was kind enough to share the audio of some of his interviews with Yowie experiences. Here is David's experience. Sounds like you had a bit of an experience there in the Richmond Range, eh? Did you know that area reasonably well? Uh, no, I don't actually. I know that um, we've had a lot of um, uh, Yowie reports uh, from uh, Woodenbong, just north of um, Richmond yeah. Range there. Yeah, yeah. Woodenbong's not all that far away. Uh-huh. Uh, now, look, Tony, I'll tell you what happened. What uh, happened was... Uh, not this immediate weekend, it was the weekend before. So what happened was, um, I, I've got a property near Boona, and uh, so we drove down to, uh, we drove down to Casino and then went up the Bruxner Highway, and you go out of Casino about 40 k's going west, and you get up to the top of the Richmond Range, um, and you go into a national park there for about 20 k's, and you get to a really nice uh, cottage, which is, uh, it's up uh, in a cleared area on the range, uh, Kaikuya grass, uh, really nice little bloody off-the-grid cottage. Yeah. So uh, we stayed there for a couple of nights, Saturday night and Sunday night, and uh, it's, it's very isolated. It's 20 k's in from the Benjamin Road. Um, there were two guys on motorbikes the entire time, trail bikes that went past, uh, the only people that we saw in 48 hours. And uh, it's very, you know, it's just in the middle of bloody nowhere, fabulous views and all that stuff. Yeah, anyway, great, yeah. on the bloody um, on the bloody Sunday night, um, there was quite a strange bloody noise. I, I'm sure you've heard, I'm sure you've heard possums and koalas with that very loud grunting sort of noise, and I'm sure you've heard cattle. Uh, I, I'm a farmer, and especially bloody cows, when you've separated calves from them, they'll bellow all night. Oh, yeah. Now, it was, 
It was nothing like that. It was nothing like that. It was a sort of a bloody moan, a, a moany sort of a noise. And it sort of spooked Sue and I a bit because, you know, we thought, shit, that's a bit strange. I wonder if there's someone there, you know? Yeah. And uh, I've got a, and it went a couple of times. There are a couple of these quite loud, low moans. Anyway, uh, I got out with my bloody, uh, I got a very powerful torch, you know, it lights up to about 500 metres. And I went out in the veranda of this place and just went right around because it's in the middle of the bloody paddock. The, the nearest trees would be, oh, I said, 150, at least 150 metres away on one side, and then they'd be bloody hundreds of metres away on the other. So, uh, and there was no, nothing, there, were, there was no stock there, there were no possums, no bloody, there are no trees there, so there's no possums, no koalas, none of the bloody normal things. And I thought, that's bloody odd. Anyway, um, in the morning we left, and we left the place about eight o'clock. So it's a forestry road, a well-graded forestry road, but, you know, I was taking it bloody easily along there. Just came out of a patch of really deep, bloody primary rainforest into that open bloody Euclid stuff. And then, bow, here's this, you know, a, a fleeting figure running across the road. And I thought, um, shit, what's that? And I immediately said to Sue, hey, 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 you see that? And uh, she said, what, what? And I said, oh, bloody someone running across the road. And uh, anyway, we pulled up. And uh, it was all over in a, oh, shit, you know, a couple of, like, from my perspective, driving. Uh, I was watching the road pretty carefully, but then yeah. I definitely saw this bloody figure move run across the road and then into some light, light eucalyptus forest. But I distinctively thought, how strange is that? Because I saw what I thought was an arm going up the brush up branch or something away. Anyway, we pulled up and had a look around um, and uh, couldn't see anything and uh, couldn't hear anything. I switched the car off, couldn't hear anything. And that was about, oh, we reckon it was about 20 past eight, half past eight in the morning um, because we left that bloody joint at eight and it took us about 40 minutes to get the 20 k's. It's pretty, it's a pretty average bloody track, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of what I've got to report. Um, oh, and the bloody smell, the smell, the smell, that's right. The smell at that bloody, um, on the night before, the Sunday, the Sunday night, when I was outside, I could definitely smell something. Um, there's definitely a, a smell of like a, a bad BO smell. Um, <laughs> Someone hadn't had a bloody shower for a few days. Yeah. Um, we, uh, like there's showers at this place. Um, um, there, there's no evidence of, like, you know, there's no rats there. There's no bloody possums to get into the garbage bins or anything. But I, I did go in and I said, hey, Sue, there's, you know, it's really bad. There's, there's a feedlot across the road from us on another property back at Boona. And oh, yeah. I thought, oh, it smells a bit like that. Oh, um, that's bad. So, yeah. So, look, that's all I've got to bloody report, you know. Oh, it's pretty interesting, David. No, that's, uh, it's got <laughs> yeah, a few... Well, I, yeah. I, 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 
you know, I'm a reasonably sensible guy. I've got, I, I do a fair bit of shooting on my place here. We had feral dogs and cats and all that sort of stuff. I've got a lot of ruse on my place, a lot of wallabies, so it, it, it didn't fit that bill, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like if, you, if you see a bloody, if you see a kangaroo, they've got a bloody big, tail that bounces. Wallabies have got a very long tail that keeps straight. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see a tail. I definitely mm-hmm. did not see a tail. Mm-hmm. So that's, and it wasn't a bloody koala. It was, it was, uh, it was too big for a koala. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and height wise, I reckon, um, as I said in that uh, thing to Dean, I reckon it was about the height of a, uh, like a, uh, a child, uh, like about I don't know, maybe about five foot. I, I probably should have gone, because I, I got a reference against a couple of the little trees there. Mm-hmm. probably should have gone and measured that, but I didn't. So, yeah. But that's, yeah. yeah. Colour-wise, um, colour-wise, it was, again, a brindley colour. Um, not a bloody, not, not the colour of a kangaroo. Um, not, 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 not the, not the light. You get those rufous wallabies up there. Those, those redneck wallabies. It wasn't that. Um, so yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, did you say? Um, did you make a guess at uh, the distance in front of the car, the range it was? Uh, yeah. Look, I'm sitting in my office here. I reckon it would have been probably about probably about fifty. 50 metres, 40 metres. Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah, that's pretty close. I mean, uh, and, for, and, yeah. And where I saw it, we were going down the side. This road follows pretty much along the top of the range, and as it goes around a few spurs, there's some quite the very steep-sided things. And we just come off one of those, and I was, you know, I was seriously watching the road, and then when I actually picked picked this up um, uh, probably probably the, the figure was uh, going off the track going off the track um, it, you know I, I was watching the, the bloody side and I just flicked yeah. my gaze up and then I saw holy shit and yeah. so probably the middle of this track Fifteen meters, twenty meters, twenty meters. You could see into the bush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And uh, okay, so it was, and it was, it, it was, uh, it was uh, fairly upright, uh, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Not a uh, like again, not, 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 not like a like a roo or a bloody wallaby at, at full speed. They got their heads down, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and that that's and it was the it was the sort of breadth of it that that, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that sort of caught me too. Like it was quite wide, at like a imagine across the shoulders or the body. What mm-hmm. um, because kangaroos and wallabies and things that they're pretty bloody small, really. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. yeah. And I thought this is a bit this is a bit wide, and I'm looking at it. Uh, like you know, it was going from my right to my left, and I'm looking at it at an angle of initially probably an angle of about 45 degrees. Then, as I closed up to where it crossed the road, yeah. um, that angle would have changed slightly. But I was probably looking at it 
in all honesty, at an angle of probably about 40, yeah, 30 to 45 degrees. All right, yeah. And uh, so did you, um, I know it was, uh, you know, fairly fleeting, but you, you, you know, just a few, few details there. Did, did you sort of register the shape of its head or uh, anything about its head or shoulders? No, I, I, I didn't. I didn't because I saw what I thought was an arm going up to brush this bloody branch away. Uh-huh. And, I, I, and this road's relatively bloody dangerous, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I was, I, I, I you know, I, I, and I drive an XR6 Ute, so I, uh, I was going pretty slowly. I was probably doing about 20, 25 k's, you know, that's about oh, the max you could do on this bloody road. Right. And uh, so, you know, I saw it, and I yelled out to Sue and said, look, yeah, look, 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 look up there, mate. And then slam, I didn't slam the brakes on, but I pulled up on my gravel. Yeah. And then we really, uh, turned the engine off, but you couldn't hear any crashing noises, you couldn't hear any noise of, you know, something going through the bush, which you sometimes do with oh, kangaroos sure. and cattle yeah. and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. So your first remark to the your wife was uh, you thought maybe it was a, a, a bloke who went across the road or so it was, yeah. it was sort of human, roughly human shaped, I gather. Is that right? Yeah. And I said, did you see that? Now it uh, sounds like uh, it, it ticks. It ticks uh, several boxes, you know, for the Yowie. I mean, the smell, that that revolting smell, and the the weird moaning. Uh, you know, we've heard that before. Uh, and then just the you know the the man-like shape and running like buggery across a road. I mean, uh, oh, did you notice uh, sort of particularly the legs at all, or? Um, This from Season 5, Episode 66, Hunting Bigfoot. My guest Mike Familiant had this to say about their vocalisation. Note, in this episode, I repeated the vocalisations at the end of the clip Mike gave me several times so you could all hear them better. I've also um, recorded vocalisations that um, I've sent off to like an army linguist and a military linguist he's he's like my go-to guy for for vocalizations he's uh you know does that for a living he's an expert so he's pretty good at it um and he's you know he's reviewed the audio and and it's come back like this is not a person because of this this and this and this is no known animal because of this this and this like he'll actually like list it out and stuff like that which is really cool because with like like uh, pitch changes or decibel changes and stuff like, like he has this like system and right. um, I, a couple of them have come back. Like this is nothing that we know exists. Wow. So I think, you know, 
that's where a lot of the evidence comes from is uh, is like through audio recording. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, not a human, and and you know, no animal can make the no known animal can make this, the um, the vowel change. Like if you if you hear in the audio, it goes from a ooh to an ah, like an o to an a, and right. animals can't do that. So that's very interesting. It's kind of cool, you know. Only pri Period. only primates can and. We're not supposed to have any primates up here in North America. True, true. Probably one of my personal favorite interviews was this one with author and researcher Paul Anthony Wallace and our conversation about his book, Escaping from Eden. Paul has taught theology and delivered training of ministers in the Anglican and charismatic streams of belief for over 40 years. Initially, I admit I was a bit hesitant about this interview because I was concerned it was going to be all about religion. How wrong I was. It was about passages in the Bible, certainly, but nothing like what I was actually dreading. I was really interested in how his study of Genesis led him to the knowledge that humanity was a created species by star people, something I have known my entire life from my interaction with my star people. In Season 5, Episode 64, in this clip, Paul is explaining how, when he was researching the Elohim in the Bible, he had a red pill moment. Well, of course the stories change, but they don't change in a random way. As soon as you make that change, the Genesis stories shift and they line up in parallel with stories from the Sumerian, Babylonian, Arcadian, and Assyrian texts. Mm. This was not known until the 1800s because we didn't have a translation key on all the cuneiform tablets right. that held the Mesopotamian stories. But once we had that translation key from the Behistun inscription, 1835, discovered by Henry Rawlinson, Scholars poured over it and they read those tablets and they thought, wait a minute, that sounds like the story of Adam and Eve. Wait a minute, that sounds like the Garden of Eden. That sounds like the fall. That sounds like the limiting of human life. There's the flood. There's the Tower of Babel. And it became clear during the 1800s that the Genesis stories and further into the Bible, they are summary forms of the ancient Mesopotamian stories, uh, which was a little bit of a controversy at the time. Uh, the idea that the Bible might be based on someone else's book uh, didn't go down very well in some quarters. But even more significant than that, the Mesopotamian versions, the original versions of all those familiar stories, are not stories about God. 
their stories about our ancestors bumping up against a colonizing force from somewhere else, from the stars, another species who turn up and have a hands-on involvement in our evolution as a species. And seeing those parallels, that was the red pill moment. I, I can never go back and read those Elohim stories as God stories because they are not. They are summaries of the stories of the sky people and many of the early Christian leaders knew that and argued for it and they got voted out and excommunicated. But there it was, right in the roots of Christianity. And that was what I was beginning to unearth. So it's a red pill in the sense that I couldn't go back and read it the old way again. But a whole new world really does open up because you realize there are narratives all around the world, indigenous narratives. You go to uh, Australian Aboriginal story. You go to Native American story. You go to Greece. India, West Africa, the Caribbean, Philippines, Norse, go wherever you like, you'll find indigenous narratives that echo these stories. And sometimes the Mesoamerican, especially in very surprising detail. And so for a long time, I'd lived in a world where it was the Bible over and against the world. You know, the Bible saying, this is what really happened. Forget what you hear anywhere else. And Now I'm in a world where all these narratives line up and they're repeating each other and confirming each other, telling us something very interesting about who we are, where we came from, what our place is in the universe, and therefore what our potential is as our potential as a species on planet Earth. And finally, from Season 5, Episode 63, of all the episodes that tucked at my heartstring this year, this particular episode with my guest David Ditchfield, a famous artist and classical composer, was the one that had me bawling like a little baby. He's such a gentle, loving soul, so genuine and open about sharing his near-death experiences following a well-publicised and very horrific accident in England, which I will let him tell you about. That was the start of his near-death experience. Although near-death is really not a correct term because he actually died in the hospital, but was revived and returned with creative gifts of being able to paint the most beautiful pictures and compose symphonies, abilities he never had prior to his experience. Said goodbye, and I said my goodbyes to her and, and hugged her and kissed her and... Uh... You know, we just had a lovely few days together, so I, I was uh, given a r- real warm hug, you know, and then the emergency buzzer started going. So she was going, quick, you know, you, you're going to have to get off. I was going, yeah, and, uh, I'll be fine, don't worry. But as I did step back, the bottom corner of my coat got caught. It got, well, it got trapped, literally trapped in the, in the automatic closing doors of the carriage. Um, so... I tugged really, really hard trying to release it. And I thought the doors would actually sort of trigger and open, but they didn't, and I couldn't get it free. Um, The engine started, you know, revving up, and, uh, oh, my goodness, you know, this is not good. So I turned around and looked for a guard, and there was no guard at all on the platform. So I just yelled at the top of my voice for help, you know, and uh, nobody turned up. Um, So I just started... 
I looked at Anna, I looked in her eyes, I could just see this fear in her eyes, you know, and I just started hitting the side of the carriage, hoping that maybe a guard would run through, but nobody turned up. Um, and the train started to really rev up there, and I thought, right, it's about to leave now. And we looked at each other, and the fear in her eyes was just so intense that it just made me stop and think, this is it, you know, I'm I'm going to die. And I really figured at that point that, that was it. It was all, I, I couldn't see myself getting free at all. And I thought I'm going to get pulled under. So um, the train pulled out at a, a real speed. You know, you don't realize just how fast trains actually leave uh, at a station until you're, you're literally on the outside of one. And, you know, and um, so I got dragged along and I lost my footing uh, eventually and then got pulled between the space of the platform edge and then the, the actual train itself and then wow. great speed i got sucked in and down i went and um yeah so it was just like literally being pulled into 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 darkness and i was just violently thrown around and just completely it was like i was completely conscious about the whole ordeal so it was very terrifying and very painful and very fast and you know, I'd lost all, I'd got no control over the situation whatsoever. You know, I felt like it was me against this huge beast, you know, this mm. this train, uh, this big piece of metal suddenly became like a, a, a massive monster that was about to devour me. And uh, then I suddenly found myself lying in between the track uh, as the train was still continuing onwards. And um, I just... Um, kept my head right down because I knew that it wasn't over yet but I thought any part of the undercarriage of the train itself could just you know hit me over the back of the head and right. it would all be over but um, clearly that didn't happen and the train eventually moved on and it took forever it was a long train and off it went and sort of disappeared down the track and left me lying there <laughs> in agony and uh, in sh and absolute shock, you know. That's only a sample of the interesting experiences that people have shared over the past year. Too many to include in a brief roundup. Again, I'd like to thank all of those guests who have kindly shared their time, experiences and knowledge with us all, the acknowledged ones and the ones who chose to be anonymous. I'm so grateful to you all. To end this roundup off, I'm going to leave you all with some of the words I've said in two bonus episodes, this first was from when the pandemic was just emerging in season four, episode 48, I've been thinking, and the second from season four, episode 55, The End Game. My most listened to episode ever since I first aired it back in June when this COVID virus was really taking hold of the world. These words are as relevant now as they were back then as this pandemic continues to rage around us. The ripples of energy that this event has on the planet are immense 
and ongoing and will forever alter the way we as humanity work together, the way that we come together to support one another. Patience, understanding, compassion and love and listening hearts, especially these are going to be needed in upcoming times. Please extend this awareness to those around you in your greater community if you're still able to be out and about in your country wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours. Be aware that people may be acting in ways that are totally out of character for them because they don't know how to or are unable to express themselves in any other way. Times like this can bring out the very worst in some and the very best in others. How we react to any situation is always entirely our choice. We may not be able to control what is happening around us, but we do have the choice in how we react or respond. Now, more than ever, we need to start working together with one heart and compassion and love for each other. Humanity as a whole has always been a very resilient species. We've been through tough times before and we will also get through this. I really believe that we will come out of this pandemic with a greater closeness within communities, a greater sense of community, a greater appreciation for everything that we have than before this. Even though this is a very scary and isolating time, there are wonderful things coming out of this and we must not get so caught up in the anxious uncertainty of it all that we cannot see the beautiful and loving things that are coming out of the situation. If you find yourself becoming overwhelmed by it all, turn off the TV, get off social media, go for a walk in nature, to a park, by a river, by the sea, ground yourself, do some gardening, mow the lawn, do something physical, go for a run, go for a walk if you can. If you can't, try and visualize yourself doing something or being in some place that gives you peace and joy. Look to see where you can help your neighbour, friends, strangers in the street. Be kind and act from your heart. Speak from your heart. Listen from your heart. You are all, every single one of you, powerful spiritual beings. Powerful spiritual beings having a human experience. Powerful, beautiful and far far stronger than you realize you are. Don't give in to fear in the coming times. Prepare yourselves as much as you can. Seek knowledge. Knowledge is power and knowledge removes fear. Today's bumper music was called The Cost of Fear from John Bork. I'm so very grateful to my patrons for their ongoing support. If you want to become a patron of the show, then head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now 
As a patron, you get access to a special members-only page on the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, from which you can download full transcripts of each episode. You also have access to some interview bits that may not make the episodes and little extras, as I have time to create and add them for you. You also get early access to the shows before everyone else gets to hear them. Also, you have my absolute gratitude and appreciation. So, what are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. The continued support of my patrons makes it possible for me to financially cover part of the costs of producing this show for you all. So thank you all so much. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions, suggestions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself or my audience, or if you feel you might be a good fit as a guest of my podcast, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com or check out the Be A Guest page on the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. And, of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and iHeartRadio as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words. Open Walking the Shadowlands and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. 